you are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner and Lance Daw with you here in the studio. If you want to get through to on the line, 334-321-1390, that's the phone number to call to join the show. Find jaws and i on twitter at point gardner at is it intern jaws now it is still intern jaws although i do intend on changing it very soon here you said that the last time i'm going to i'm going to eventually eventually been a little busy but i just gotta come up with a cool name every time i go to look at it i'm like i can't think of anything cooler i vote for at employee jaws I gotta that, see there's if that's no available. way that's been taken i got it I gotta there's see no way available. can you go and check right now is yeah, it can, possible for you to check yeah i can check right now once again, the phone number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. That's the number to call in order to get through to On the Line. Hope everybody's having an outstanding good Friday, whether you're at work or not. I hope everybody's enjoying this wonderful Friday afternoon. And after the weather that we've gotten over the last couple of weeks, another day with no cloud in the sky. I'm pumped. It's a great day and I'm all smiles in the studio. Everybody can tell you in here that I've been in peak spirits here right before I got out of the air. So uh, we're looking forward to a great show here with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Big news for Auburn basketball. It was only a matter of time. It wasn't if, it was when he will declare for the NBA draft. But there was still questions as to whether or not Sharif Cooper would take an agent and Sharif Cooper has made his intentions known that he will be declaring for the NBA draft and foregoing his remaining eligibility Sharif Cooper intends to I I guess sign with an agent and I think his his dad's an agent so uh you know that was part of what was the big controversy at the beginning of this year and what prevented him from being able to play so Sharif Cooper news declaring for the NBA draft in addition to that we'll dip our toes into college basketball still following what's going on with Roy Williams at North Carolina or his retirement from North Carolina also Chris Beard from Texas Tech to Texas we'll talk about that later on we didn't really get into that yesterday also Kansas said look North Carolina Carolina you can't have Bill Self lifetime contract despite (laughs) the issues that have been surrounding Kansas and other programs due to that FBI investigation into college basketball also Auburn baseball got a win baby they're back (laughs) or at least maybe maybe they're back they're trying to get that series win against Arkansas tonight maybe maybe a big part of my great spirits were stemming from when I got the press release and I saw that Auburn had won yesterday against Arkansas. But we've already got a caller on the line with us. We're going to head to the phone lines now. Shane joining us on this Good Friday. Shane, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing great, guys. How are y'all? We're doing fantastic. War Eagle. It's good to get a win. You, man, we got a win. I did not see this one coming. Uh, at number one, Arkansas, the first game. Wow. I mean, how much is that going to do for, for these guys' confidence? It's got to be amazing. 
you know, and it puts them in a position. I was I was speaking with Zach Blackerby at lunch, and Lance was at lunch with us as well, and we were talking about it. I said, this is huge because, like, you don't think about it, but tonight you can win the series. And going into right. it, you're thinking, man, like, I don't know if you're How going to – Right, right. Or, 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 you know, maybe at best they take one out of three, but then to beat Arkansas yeah. in game one or, or to win game one of any series, that's why your ace is on Friday. That's why people put so much – so so much into winning game one, it changes the whole scope of the series because now you got two opportunities to take it. If you were to lose game one, and then you've got you've absolutely have to win game two, but then you'd have to win two straight, you know, to, to just be able to win the series, which is hard to do. So this is huge that Auburn was able to at least take game one against someone that at least in one of the polls is ranked number one in the country. I, I, most places they're number three, but this is still you're you're not missing much in that top three. This Arkansas team's fantastic. I, I don't know who, what fan out there really thought that we, after getting swept by Ole Miss, which it was close. I mean, we we, we had a chance to win, uh, you know, one or two, actually, if, if things had just gone a little differently. But then you get, getting swept against Kentucky, that just dampers. I don't know. The, it, I don't know what. It just, it, just, it just puts a foul taste in your mouth. So I don't know who actually expected Auburn to win a game at Number one, two, three, whatever, Arkansas. But I, I, I did not. I really did. I, I was really like, how bad are they going to get beat? Just, just compared to like, just, just by looking at the past six SEC games, then they're going up against uh, similar to kind of like Ole Miss, but with a little bit more power. I, I don't know. I did not see them winning, uh, especially game one. And I'm, I'm, I'm totally excited about it. Yeah, this isn't the first time in an SEC series that Arkansas has been beaten in game one. I mean, there was that series or the SEC opener for them actually against Alabama. They got beat 16-1, to which was a head-scratcher. And then Arkansas after that routed off eight, nine wins in a row before Auburn just snapped that last night, which is huge. So this Arkansas team has been beaten in game one before, but this is big because and – I, and I said on Wednesday, I believe, I said that just Auburn taking one this weekend gives you a sliver of hope for Auburn to be able to turn things around a bit. 1-8 doesn't sound much better than 0-9, but this Auburn team now has a chance to possibly take two this weekend. Possibly, you know, you know, and then if you take two, if you were to win tonight, I don't know. I just have I have a weird feeling about going in tonight because I don't want to get way too ahead of myself, but I just have this strange feeling that the bats wake up this evening and end up putting it on, uh, putting it on whoever's thrown out there for Arkansas. I'm expecting close game, but if Auburn were to squeak one out tonight, good gracious, what if they what if they shock the SEC, just right. like the SEC shocked everybody last weekend with six sweeps. You just never know. But I'm not going to go that far down the line. That's yeah. that's outrageous. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's, we're, I mean, that's, we're excited, but, that's, you know. But, hey, I, I do have a question. Like, is there a way to watch the games anywhere? I, I was trying to figure out how, but I was only able to, you know, listen to it. Last night's, I think, was on SEC Network Plus, but don't quote me on that. I will yeah, go back is, and try and find some info on that. Okay, yeah, if you could, like, if, if you find out and you maybe say, you know, hey, this is how you can watch the baseball, I would really love to watch it, even, even if it's, like, on the computer or something, you know? Sure. I will uh, I will go and look that up right now. I'm going to head over to the AuburnTigers.com schedule, and I will, uh, I will see if I can find that. But I don't know if any of these games are televised this weekend, like on regular cable. So I will get that. Not, and then, I don't think so. I don't think so, but I, I was I was trying to find like an alternate way, like through some web 
website or something that we can watch it. Let's see. I think all of these games this weekend are on SEC Plus. Yeah, yeah. SEC Network Plus. I think that's the way that you have to get it. So. Oh well, that would in order for you to get SEC Network Plus, you'll have to um, you have to put in your cable provider's information. So uh, whoever your cable your cable provider is, you basically gotcha, just gotcha. log into it on ESPN.com, and that's how you'll be able to watch it. So sorry, I, I guess thanks, I misunderstood guys. what you were saying. Appreciate it, Shane. Yep, thanks, guys. Bye. That was Shane on the line with us. If you want to call in as well, ask us what games are on television. I do what's on TV tonight. I don't I don't add digital broadcasts to it, but I'll try and figure out where you can find the Auburn baseball game and be able to watch it. But the next two games in this series are on SEC Network Plus for folks out there. But if you do want to call in, 334-321-1390. That was Shane on the line with us. Appreciate it, Shane, and a big baseball fan out there as well. And glad we already got to talk some baseball because it was a big SEC win for Auburn. And like I said on the call this Auburn team with a win in game one it opens a door it it makes things a whole lot easier for them to win the series because now Arkansas has to rattle off two straight wins which is definitely not out of the realm of possibility and I jokingly say like what happens if they get the sweep you know what I mean and crazier things have happened already this SEC season but I think that's way out there and way ahead of yourself you're going into tonight just focusing on tonight if you get the dub tonight it's just great to have gotten a series win against an outstanding team, and it's, it's the beginning of a turnaround. Yeah, I think just to be to be able to get one win against Arkansas is a really, really big statement uh, for Auburn. Uh, we were talking with Zach earlier, I believe, just talking about like the confidence of these guys moving forward. Like they just looking down their schedule, it's like all of these teams that we thought, well, they're unbeatable, are suddenly beatable. If you can go on the road and beat the number one team in the country at all, period, then that that's a massive win for you moving down the road. Something else I also want to point out is that most of Auburn's games actually are going to be on SEC Network Plus for the entire season. Auburn doesn't have a game uh, on just the normal network until the fifteenth, I believe. So 11th they play Mississippi State on Sunday April 11th on SEC Network my mistake my mistake and then they get the Thursday game against Alabama on April 15th on SEC Network as well that was the one you were talking about let's see if there's other televised games Saturday April 24th against Florida that one's on SEC Network Thursday game against Georgia April 29th that one is SEC Network and the Saturday game of that series you get game one and game three of the Auburn Georgia series on SEC Network and then you get all you you get UAB on the SEC Network on May 4th. LSU on the Thursday and Friday games against LSU are both on SEC Network as well. So a lot more are to come on television, actual cable television as the year progresses. Because early season, it's hard to find any college baseball on TV early in the season because basketball is dominating it at that time. Now we're getting into the SEC slate, and this is where you begin to see a whole lot more. And so Auburn's got a handful of ball games still here left that people will be able to watch it. Pretty much uh, most of these series remaining, they've got one. I mean, they've got one at least in Mississippi State, Alabama, Florida, Georgia, LSU. So three of their, excuse me, not three, all of but two series left for Auburn you'll at least be able to watch them on on cable television right. if you get SEC right. Network you're also talking about you know you believe that the bats may come alive tonight I just have this weird just, feeling maybe it's just excitement but I have this weird feeling a disturbance in the force but that somebody's about to get rocked tonight whether it's Auburn or Arkansas we'll find out <laughs> well I think it's a really good observation because I just want to point out Auburn doubled Arkansas in hits last night they had eight yep. hits to four and granted just Arkansas had a hard time stringing them together to get runs right Auburn had 16 or 16 strikeouts compared to green hills five 
Auburn struck out 16 times last night, but they still managed to somehow find a way Yeesh. to win. If Ar- if Arkansas, and I believe this this was their ace that they went up against uh, yesterday, right? Yes. So Arkansas bringing in a pitcher that's not going to give 16 strikeouts or deal out 16 strikeouts. I think Auburn has a chance to put some uh, points on the board tonight. Tonight, for sure. they take on, Sting brought this name up. I love it. Here we go. Zebulon Vermillion, wow. senior right-handed pitcher for Arkansas is on the hill tonight 2-0 3.14 ERA it's the highest ERA out of all three of their probables on Saturday it'll be Lael Lockhart 1-1 with a 2.77 ERA so among those three starters yesterday the ace Patrick Wicklander had a 2.33 going into the ball game and now tonight it'll be a 3.14 from Zebulon Vermillion to put that in perspective just to give you a little bit of a measuring stick there Auburn Saturday guy freshman righty Joseph Gonzalez has a 3.18 ERA right now so Auburn's facing someone that's in the same stat tier as Joseph Gonzalez obviously a lot more experience considering he's a senior righty and this guy at Arkansas he's got to be an outstanding pitcher but I still think you know there's a disturbance in the force I feel something inside that's telling me somebody's about to get rocked tonight you hope it's not Jack Owen because he's making his first start since returning from his injury earlier on this season before the year even began he got hurt with that dislocated finger he's gotten some relief roles over the last couple of series but now he's making his first start of the year right right and I really hope Owen doesn't get shelled uh tonight I don't think that's going to happen I think Auburn's actually going to come out and like you said earlier, I definitely think you see more of the bullpen today because I, I don't agree. think Owen goes I don't think Owen goes further than five innings I think you're going to see Auburn mix and match tonight and I think the bats will come alive I think Auburn has a really really good chance to win this game if they can get this game they've they, they well, they've will won the series right they've won the series but they will sweep if they win if they win <laughs> I, I see if you, they okay. go two in a row they're gonna sweep <laughs> maybe getting a little bit ahead of yourself i have to see how tonight progresses because look saturday in game three you know for a fact that it's going to be a bullpen day mm-hmm. gonzalez hasn't been overly sharp over his last couple of outings as a starter he's also still just a freshman and he's batting or he's pitching against one of the heaviest hitting teams in the SEC when you're talking about their ability with all the power that they have in the lineup so you know that Saturday with how depleted this staff has been you know it's probably going to be more of a bullpen day for Auburn if Auburn doesn't get the W tonight they don't win the series agreed but let's see how it unfolds tonight because we'll see how many arms are used it'll be big if Owen can give them four or five good innings and then hand off to the bullpen but we'll be back with more of on the line on the other side of this break you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334 321 1390. We want to hear from you. Call in. What are your thoughts? Auburn baseball gets a dub against Arkansas last night. A lot of news in college basketball about coaching movement also Sharif Cooper declaring for the NBA draft now that we have come off of that peak of excitement that we just had in that first segment just talking about Auburn baseball as Lance calls for the series sweep against Arkansas it's coming if we win tonight it's coming <laughs> well get your brooms ready I, I don't know if I'm I'm not going that far but you know I, th- I definitely I definitely have a feeling tonight the bats are the bats are coming for both teams tonight 
Jack Owen with a 23.14 ERA only has he's only thrown 2.1 innings this year and he's given up six runs now I definitely think this coaching staff obviously this coaching staff knows more than any of us do and I trust Butch Thompson to make the right decision on who's throwing because I think he handled the the decision that going into the year it was a question is what who was going to be the Friday guy whether it was going to be Richard Fitz or Cody Greenhill I think he handled that very well obviously because we see what Cody Greenhill has been able to do this year on top of that I, I I I trust how he's handled the staff so far even when it's been in shambles up to this point due to injuries so I mean you talk about the pedigree for Butch Thompson with pitchers you got to trust what this guy thinks and he obviously believes that Jack Owen's ready to go if Butch Thompson says Jack Owen's ready to go let's rumble I agree I agree 100 if 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 uh it's exactly like you said if Butch Thompson believes that his guys are ready to go out there and pitch well and I've talked all this season uh so far about how we need more consistency from the bullpen if he believes going Owen can go out there as a starter and give him consistent innings then he's the guy he's ready to go and I know they're just looking for arms at this point considering you know but but here's the thing Mason Barnett's looked looked good as a starter right he's two and one 3.33 ERA he, he until last week he was having an outstanding go as a starter for this team he moved somebody he felt confident enough to move Barnett out of the rotation for the first time this year to reinsert Jack Owen so I think that says something I think that says that there's some confidence there in Jack Owen despite the shakiness of the recent two outings for Owen and a lot of that's just trying to get him back healthy just trying to get him back acclimated to college baseball so it was his first two outings that he's had since he's came back from injury this year it was his first two times out throwing in a real live game situation at all this year and now if coach Thompson thinks that Jack Owen's ready to go then I think that means something based off of coach Thompson's track record with Auburn pitchers and considering he moved out of the rotation Mason Barnett he he, obviously this group needs help in the bullpen Mason Barnett can provide that support obviously that is that is necessary but I still think it says a lot that he that he's willing to move Owen back into the starting rotation considering he's moving out somebody that has performed well up to this point for sure so they're still in need of arms they're still in need of guys getting back healthy but I think this is also the news all week is that this is the healthiest pitching staff that we've seen since the beginning of the season Carson Skipper's on his way back obviously you'd love to see Sepp Thomas come back he, he's not ready to go just yet there's a lot of guys that they're still waiting on but I think once this staff gets healthier this is going to be one of the deeper staffs and we've been saying that since the non-conference schedule obviously things went awry through the first two series where you get swept and you end up 0-6 and you're like doesn't even matter anymore but if you could steal one tonight they stole one yesterday thieves in Fayetteville Arkansas right if you could run back to the Plains with two out of three at least this season's on an uptick especially after the tidal wave of sweeps that occurred last week with half the conference getting swept in games it has skewed the standings and now Auburn's at a real chance to be able to climb on top of squads like Alabama and LSU who are both faced with difficult series this weekend Alabama's taking on Tennessee who's sitting at five and one in the SEC East and is in a three-way tie atop of the SEC East standings with Kentucky and Vanderbilt this Tennessee team is a shocker for many teams but they are no slouch they have been able to take it to several outstanding programs up to this point this Tennessee team is legit now Alabama's pretty good too I wouldn't be shocked if one of these teams split and I wouldn't be shocked if Alabama was able to take two out of three because I I do respect this Alabama baseball team up to this point but then the other team that's one in five of the SEC West standings at the moment LSU got swept last week 
And this LSU team is playing Vanderbilt, who's sitting at 5-1 and one right now, and they've got the best one-two punch in a starting rotation in all of college baseball with Leiter and Rocker. Does it get better for names for two starting pitchers as well? <laughs> Leiter and Rocker? Come on! And so I, I'm over here thinking that if, if things get ugly across the first two games between Vanderbilt and LSU, Vanderbilt takes the first two due to their starting rotation being so good. And then you got the bats of this Vanderbilt team as well that is first in the SEC at batting average. So this Vanderbilt team uh, definitely has the stuff, I feel like, to be, able to, to be able to help Auburn out in the standings with suppressing LSU and then Tennessee doing the same thing to Alabama. Right, right. And if, and if that LSU series goes wrong, let's see what happened because I believe those two teams actually played last night as well. So let's go and check that score on what happened in the Vanderbilt-LSU game. But go ahead. Uh, if that if that series goes wrong and Auburn starts to climb, there they go. They start climbing all of a sudden. Series against Mississippi State looks a little bit more winnable. Thirteen Se- to one win yesterday for Vanderbilt. Wow, wow. Vanderbilt is a very, very good baseball team. Cannot stress enough. Like you're talking about, I think about that's their, their an two, understatement, sir. They're two pitchers, undeniably the best team in college baseball. Great. They are. They are solid. They are very solid. Series at Alabama. I think solid's winnable. an understatement. <laughs> Uh, we so, have to get something a little bit more descriptive when we're talking about Vanderbilt baseball right now, like Iron Wall. I don't know. This is a this is I, I don't. You talk about that pitching staff. It's like a two point one nine team ERA. It's insane. And then you got Lighter and Rocker as starters. Like your bullpen doesn't have to do much when you have those two guys, and it really makes Sundays easier, Game Threes easier. So this Vanderbilt team, man, I, I'm telling you, it's an understatement. It's very borderline everything's cliche when you're talking about how good this Vanderbilt team is right but 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 again back to LSU and Auburn if LSU does poorly again Auburn starts climbing looking down this schedule talked about it in the first segment things move from not very winnable to winnable if you win this game tonight oh yeah moving forward all of a sudden these series everybody becomes beatable you're getting healthier in the pitching staff and as the pitching staff gets healthier, and I said this on yesterday's show, if the pitching staff wasn't so injured up to this point, if so many arms weren't missing, so many of them weren't MIA right now, the batting wouldn't bother me as much. The hitting wouldn't bother me as much at this point. But because the staff got worse, you have to make up for it at the plate. And I don't think Auburn's offense met them halfway to be able to squeeze out some wins. Obviously, they didn't because they went 0-6 across their first two weekends. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you got any more out of your plate production in order to be able to squeeze out some victories while your arms were down. Now the arms are coming back, and I think that coupled with the type of plate production that Auburn is capable of this year. Look, Auburn's like second in the SEC right now. Let me go and find the the stats. Coming into this week, Auburn in the SEC in terms of batting average, as I pull it up, Auburn was sitting tied with Vanderbilt at the top of the league with a 309 average. Now some of that skewed, once again, the the Alabama A&M series skews some of Auburn's Hitting, stati- hitting statistics, but they're still averaging about five runs a ball game in SEC play. Hasn't been enough because there have been droughts throughout ball games where it would take them six, seven innings to finally plate one. A lot of them were coming. A lot of those runs were coming in late rallies at the end of a ball game, and this pitching staff needed more run support throughout the first two thirds of a ball game in order for Auburn to get these W's. But they've lost by fine margins. Lost by a run to Ole Miss in games one and two. Lost to Kentucky by max two runs or less in every single one of those ball games. So it's been very fine margins for Auburn. So as I said, as this pitching staff gets healthier, as it gets better, equilibrium occurs. And this right. Auburn team begins to get back to what you expected them to be at before all the injuries occurred in their staff. 
And one of the best things that could have happened to him was that last week, six SEC teams got swept because it put everyone else in the same situation as Auburn. Fortunately for Auburn, they're getting healthier and other teams are like, not dealing with the same issues that Auburn is and they're just they're just trying to figure out what they're what they, like that what they've got on their team is what they've got they can't possibly hope to add new pieces Auburn's adding new pieces as the year goes on something else that I, I do want to criticize the bats just a little bit here they have there have been games where Auburn Auburn plates runs and you know they, they score it's just usually not enough because the pitching's not been been subpar but there have also been games where Auburn will get hits but they won't get runs and they'll stall out like every inning. Like they'll put yeah. guys on and just leave them stranded. That's the truth. And I just want to see. I just want to see Auburn. Whenever they get guys on base, they get somebody home. Whenever you get the bases loaded, get someone home. Gonna have to cash in tonight. Jack Owen making his first start of the season. It's not going to be crisp. I think it's going to be crisper than it has been in his 2.1 innings pitch that he's had up to this point because he's got a 23.14 ERA. I think we see that improve after tonight but you're going to get four or five innings tops out of jack owen tonight because he's still you're still stretching out that arm you're still it's a progression for him to be able to throw he's not going to come out and throw seven innings tonight you're going to have to hand it off to the bullpen somewhere at the midway point of the game you just hope you're doing that with a lead right we talked about it earlier and a substantial lead to that at least with some runs we talked about it earlier auburn won two one but they had eight hits they have to be able to convert those hits into runs to win tonight when it takes uh, when it takes every four hits to play to run, that's not great. It's not good. People don't talk about the hit to run ratio. I talk about this, but folks don't really talk about it. And don't read too much into it. But have you ever thought about the hit to run ratio? Sting, you're a baseball guy. Let's bring you onto the show over here. Do you ever think about the hit to run ratio? No, it's actually never occurred to me until you just said and, it. And nobody ever talks about it. But think about this. I like would how think many, there would be a huge step because that's what baseball is, is a game how of stats. Many, how many hits does it take for you to plate a run? And for Auburn, sometimes it's taking as many as four. That doesn't even make sense. That's like four singles. Right, right. You know, and, and, and it's either, an, indica- it's either an, ind- an indication that you don't have enough power in your lineup or it's an, in- an indication that there's some – like. They're just not able to string hits together. There's not enough consistency in the order. Maybe maybe you could tinker with the lineup a little bit, but you're you're spot on when you're talking about consistently consistency throughout the lineup and being able to hit with runners in scoring position. The hit to run ratio is never talked about. I made it up, but it's a it's a real stat. How many hits does it take you to play to run? And some you know four is just a little that that's a little too high for it's, me. It's a little too high. It's it it definitely is. And I was I hammered consistency before baseball season started about the pitching staff and just moving forward with some of the the early games. Auburn's just got to find a way to be more consistent all all around. On the other side of this break, we talk with Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com and the Auburn Plainsman. We'll be back in just a moment getting his thoughts all things spring football. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. But just take a second because we've got our Friday guest on the line with us. we got Christian Comente here, TJIF. Christian, how you doing today, my man? I'm doing good. How about yourself, Noah? Doing really well, and uh, it's a beautiful day out. It's it's a good Friday, so uh, my spirits are, are high here, and uh, we're, we're happy to have you on the show with us let's start off with some spring football talk here Auburn football 
closing in on A-Day, April 17th, 15 days away, two weeks from tomorrow at the midway point of spring practice. Where do you think this Auburn football team is at? I, I know that Coach Harson did say that after that last scrimmage or that last media availability that we had that he said that he didn't have a preconceived notion or schedule of where this team is at, but part of me thinks that that's coach speak. Where do you think this team is at in the progression under under spring practice under under Coach Harson? And I know that's a bit of a shotgun approach, so uh, so take your take your best shot at that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a I think it's a situation where there's a lot of work to do, and I think the coaches knew that, and I would hope the fan base knew that based on what they saw last year. So. I think it's kind of a situation. They had six practices. They did take this past week off, which was just something they would normally have if there was a spring break. Obviously, Auburn doesn't have one this year, but they still wanted to schedule that week off. They've gone through six practices. They've learned some of the flaws that this roster has, and they've been able to see firsthand what they need to work on, mainly the offensive line from what we saw when we were able to go into practice. But the defenses look strong. Um, so that's a strong suit for Auburn this year, and I think that's something fans should really expect is to have a strong defense. And that strong defense might get another boost here soon with Tyke Smith out of West Virginia, the All-American safety. Auburn seems to be the favorite to land him out of the transfer portal now. Um, so putting him back at safety with Smoke Monday would make this secondary just absolutely insane. I'd, it might be one of the best secondaries in the country, if not the best. I love to hear that. I love me some great DB play. But my question here to you is, what is it with Auburn's fascination in adding so many defensive backs? Because people may forget, three safeties were signed on National Signing Day back in February alone. And those guys were not guys that were previously being heavily recruited by Malzahn or recruited at all by Malzahn. They were Brian Harson's recruits and Derek Mason's recruits that they said they wanted to go and get them and then Dreshawn Miller transfers to Auburn and now you've also got on top of that you've got Tyke Smith that as you just mentioned is a, is a favorite to come to the Plains a lot of defensive backs have been coming to Auburn here recently what gives because that didn't even coming into the offseason feel like a position of need yeah I agree with that it is a little bit interesting I've really been able to narrow that down exactly Obviously, it is good to have a lot of depth in that position because when you're playing the likes of Alabama and LSU and Georgia, I mean, their number four receivers are going to be guys that are going to go and play in the NFL. you got to play against a bunch of talent. you got to be deep in that room. But they just continue to add people. I figured they were good, and then all of a sudden, Tyke Smith's name pops up, and Auburn's the leading candidate. It's like, well, where did this really come from? But it does kind of make sense because they were moving Ladarius Tennyson back to safety play alongside Smoke Monday, and then they had Nehemiah Pritchett playing the nickel. So now it looks like if they can land Tyke Smith, Tyke Smith can play safety alongside Smoke, move Ladarius Tennis into nickel, and maybe him and Nehemiah Pritchett can split some snaps there. And then at cornerback, you still have Roger McCreary, Drayshawn Miller when he gets here in the summer, Jalen Simpson, Marco Damio, and even the Juco Kamal Hatton. So they will be very deep in that secondary, with or without Tyke Smith. Seems like snaps are limited for guys that were even balling out last year. Someone that you just mentioned, Nehemiah Pritchett. We talk about how good he was at the tail end of last season. And he's someone that might kind of get caught up. Him and Jalen Simpson both might kind of get caught up in all of these transfers. I, I wonder, and I've asked a couple of people this question, do you think all of these transfers actually mean that starters from last season could have their starting positions usurped? 
because why would guys transfer if they weren't going to play or are they all just going to be sharing snaps and Auburn's just going to be super deep rotating guys around I'm just having a hard time making sense of where all the playing time is there's only so many downs in a football game yeah I mean I wish I could tell you the answer to that I really don't know if I had to guess and I don't think anybody knows yeah I would guess they would rotate because I mean you can't have a guy like Jalen Simpson or a guy like Nehemiah Pritchett just sitting on the bench all game they are very talented Jalen Simpson was one of the standouts when they held that open practice a couple weeks ago. He had several pass breakups. If you remember back to last year, he had that really strong Kentucky game where he earned SEC Freshman of the Week, but he got hurt, and he never was really able to recover from that last year. So he's a very talented guy, and, I mean, you just can't have those guys sitting on the bench, so I guess they would rotate, but, I mean, we'll probably get a better indication of that um, on A-Day. But even then... We won't see Drayshawn Miller and potentially Tyke Smith there if he does come to Auburn. So we really won't know until the season starts, to be honest. It's a new scheme, and that could mean as well that this coaching staff wants a certain archetype of player at the defensive back position. I also wonder if it means that they possibly saw stuff on film or maybe we're looking at the roster with who they had at the position and we're like, this is a position group that we want to retool because I already mentioned they went and recruited a plethora of cornerbacks and safeties in this past recruiting class to go alongside the guys that already Gus Malzahn had brought in, but now also with the transfers. It makes me wonder if they didn't like something about the guys that were already on the roster. And I know I know ne- neither of us have the answer to that, but it does kind of make you wonder with this new scheme if there's going to be any changes to how defensive back play is treated at Auburn. Do you, do you think there will be any changes to how Auburn uses their DBs? Uh I mean, I can't think of anything, really, and I haven't seen anything from the two times we were in practice. Um, I mean, it'll just be interesting to see what they do. I mean, they have a plethora of talent at that position. They're certainly not lacking, so we'll just kind of have to see see what happens there. And I definitely agree with your sentiment that this could end up being the best secondary in all of college football. Of course, nobody's going to give them credit for it because uh, typically Auburn's going to have some great units that are or great position groups that is that are going to be flying under the radar but of course Auburn's never in the conversation for DBU when you see that every offseason or when the draft rolls around it's all it's always your Alabama's your LSU's your Ohio State's so this group will be undervalued nonetheless but they are deep and, and solid I want to switch gears here to the offensive line now it seems like in the impression that I'm getting up until this point is that the offensive line is developing out to look a lot more like it did last year than maybe some of the shakeups that we may have originally thought. Do you think that's by design, or do you think that there will be some more moving and shaking on the offensive line as spring camp goes? Because right now, the way the offensive line looks through snaps, it appears it's the exact same line that was last year, with the exception Brandon Council's out injured. They just plugged in Keandre Jones in at right guard. Yeah, I did expect some movement. I thought maybe a guy like Killian Zaire would slot in at left tackle down to these healthy, but we haven't seen that. We saw the Stamo line. Once Brandon Council does return, which will be in the summer, I would expect some movement there to get him in. Don't know where he would slot in exactly, but he'll be somewhere on there. But it is kind of surprising it's the Stamo line, and to be honest, from what we saw in practice, it looks like the same offensive line. Bonix was running for his life, and they were doing a pretty good job run blocking because a lot of guards their tackles should probably be playing offensive guard but it's just kind of the situation that brian harson inherited and I think he's going to just do his best to make it fit um a lot of people thought auburn would go after an offensive tackle in the transfer portal from what we've heard 
unless there is a guy that is absolutely outstanding, they don't really want to do that because a lot of these guys are juniors and seniors. So Brian Harson is hoping to bring in like six offensive tackles in this 2021 recruiting class so he can really bolster that position moving forward. So That is absurd. Like <laughs> yeah, especially after not getting one for however many years it was under Gus. But looks like he's really, really putting an emphasis on that position moving forward, which means for this season at least, it might be another subpar year for the offensive line. But they do know how to run block. Tank Bigsby will be he'll be having the time of his life. He'll probably run for fifteen hundred yards. <laughs> <laughs> hey, and that uh that that could be enough to win Auburn some football games this year, at least against some of the uh some of the teams that Auburn may be about fifty fifty matchups with that Auburn's just as talented as that could be enough to equalize. I want to switch gears here to basketball with you. Obviously the big news and we haven't even really gotten into it yet. Sharif Cooper declaring for the NBA did make the announcement that he was going to forego his remaining eligibility. You were fifty one percent that he was going to stay, the forty nine percent occurred. What are your thoughts on Sharif Cooper making the jump to the next level? Yeah, it's not it's not overly surprising and for Auburn basketball, to be honest, it's a good thing. Obviously, you'd like to have Sharif Cooper coming back next year with the talent that you have. But if you want to become one of these quote-unquote blue bloods, you have to have these guys going to the draft. You have to have your Tumo Kiki, your Isaac Okoro, now your Sharif Cooper, maybe even your JT Thor. You have to produce the talent, or you have to show on the court that you have the talent and go to the Final Four and do that. But then you also have to produce the talent and send the talent to the NBA. So Sharif Cooper going to the NBA, in all honesty, is a good thing for Auburn basketball. I'm If I'm an Auburn fan, I'm not too concerned about next year. It looks like they have a couple of guys that they're targeting right now. Obviously, you're bringing in Jabari Smith, Trey Alexander, and Zepp Jasper. You still have several spots to bring in. And if Auburn can pull off what seems like a decent scenario of bringing in Walker Kessler, the transfer out of North Carolina, um, Scoot Henderson, who was waiting for the Sharif Cooper news to the 2022 point guard, he was waiting to see what Sharif does before potentially reclassifying. And he's the number 13 player in the class of 2022. And then Ty Ty Washington out of Arizona, the number 32 player, a point guard in the class of 2021. How likely do you like think a, that one is? That one, um, I would probably say Scoot Henderson is the most likely. Ty Ty Washington, second most likely. And then I would put Walker Kessler last. But that does not mean Auburn doesn't have a good chance with Walker Kessler. I think they have a fantastic chance to land him, but I think the other two are more likely. See, Ty Ty Washington is is intriguing for me because a who he was recruited recruited by he was he was committed to Creighton and and look like Creighton guards know how to shoot it that that is like their primary that's their primary objective at Creighton is to be able to shoot the three point shot well and, and he was obviously a highly touted what was he the number three point guard in the class of in, in this year's class am I correct in saying that? It's something like that. I know he's the number 32 player in the class for uh, 2021 in the Rivals 100 rankings. So he is obviously very talented. And I was shifting some numbers around a little bit. And just with him, if he were to commit, just with him, Jabari Smith, and Trey Alexander, I believe Auburn would move up to number five in the national recruiting rankings with bringing in just three players in the class. You made a great point earlier when you said that it was a good thing that Auburn has to showcase that talent and then be able to send that talent to the NBA in order to be you know in order to be among those blue bloods. I don't think Auburn will ever be regarded as a blue blood 
because it took Duke about, you know, it took Duke like 20 years of dominating college <laughs> basketball to be able to join those ranks. Because if you look at Duke's history before this this stretch under Coach K, you, you don't look at them as a blue blood. They were, they were not a, among college basketball's elite before Coach K got there. So I, I doubt Auburn ever gets to that point. But what you were saying about Auburn at least being able to compete at the top level, the most elite level in college basketball on a year in a year out basis, they've got to learn how to reconstruct their roster every year and deal with guys going one and done. And this year is a great opportunity for Auburn to show that. Christian, I appreciate you hopping on the line with us. Tell tell everybody where they can find all the content you're putting out. Yes, you can find my stuff at theplainsman.com and auburnsports.com, along with on Twitter at cclemente underscore. I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a good Easter weekend. Thank you. You as well. That was Christian Clemente of auburnsports.com and the Auburn Plainsman. We'll wrap up our number one of On the Line on the other side of this break. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Got about eight minutes left here in our number one of On the Line. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports between collegiate and high school sports content. We've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. A lot of articles went up today. I'm talking like six articles went up today. Auburn baseball, Alabama baseball, both softball teams as well. A lot of content went up as well. Alabama football preparing for their first spring scrimmage. A lot of content up there on the website. So RadioAlabamaSports.net is where you can go and check out all that. Also on the Radio Alabama Sports app that you can find in the App Store. Before we wrap up our number one here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noel Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's Friday and that means a new episode of Shark Tank. An entrepreneur from Missouri has a simple invention that helps prevent the spread of germs. New episode tonight at 7 on ABC. Also at 7, The Blacklist is on NBC. Some movie selections for tonight. Opening day was yesterday, so why not go with Moneyball on AMC at 6. Denzel Washington is in The Equalizer on TBS at 7. And Live Sports, two NBA games are on NBA TV at 6.30. The Dallas Mavericks and the New York Knicks will square off. At 9, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Portland Trailblazers close out the night. The women's basketball Final Four is on this evening with both games on ESPN. At 5, two one-seats collide with South Carolina and Stanford. At 8.30, three-seed Arizona will play one-seed UConn. Outside of live sports, but keeping with the theme of basketball, ESPN2 has a 30-for-30 going from 7.30 to 9.30. The last days of night examines Indiana Hoosers coaching legend Bob Knight and the investigation surrounding his firing. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up our number one of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Sharif Cooper declaring for the NBA draft. We've been sidetracked by baseball. I love it. Big thank you there to Shane in the first segment of the show, putting us on that baseball track because you know how much I want to talk about baseball and this Auburn team getting a huge win yesterday against Arkansas to be able to start off the series against the Razorbacks. 1-0. But let's get to basketball now. Sharif Cooper declaring for the NBA draft. He will forego his remaining eligibility. At least that is his intention. I wonder if his father will be the one representing him. I mean, he's got to be, right? <laughs> Wouldn't that be a shame to be an NBA agent and your son? Sorry, Dad. I think I'm going just, with someone I, else. I just don't believe it. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't really think this is going to work out. <laughs> so where does this leave the Auburn roster? This is a good point to now be able to talk about everything that's happened. Jamal Johnson, transfer. So there's one scholarship. Javon Franklin, transfer. There's another scholarship. 
Nobody graduated off of this team. At the moment, the only other guy in the NBA draft is JT Thor, but JT Thor, I think I'm leaning a little bit more towards he will be returning. I don't see this guy getting a first-round grade. I don't think he really showcased anything other than his NBA-level frame that NBA teams will be like, yeah, let's go ahead and go. And you have to keep in mind, he should have been a high school senior this year, so it doesn't hurt him for him to return his sophomore year because he's still... He's just a baby. He's just a child. Like he's going to actually be a collegiate freshman next year. If he think NBA team should be like, yes, go back to college, get some weight, get swole, play great, and then we'll we'll see you in the first round next year, which I think is really likely. Actually, Auburn could have a couple of you see before Justin Powell left, which is another scholarship as well. So there's three before Justin Powell left. I was like. Man, Auburn might have like three first-round guys next year, especially if Sharif Cooper returns. That's changed a little bit. You're still going to have Jabari Smith. I think JT Thor is a, ne- a next-year kind of guy in the NBA draft. I think Alan Flanagan's going to have a shot next year to get drafted. I just doubt as a junior he ends up in the first round, despite some mock drafts where I've seen some folks out there like this guy a little bit. But I'm going to say that he's going to end up being a second-rounder just because of his age. And being a junior, I think that will hurt him just a tad because I think he'd have to have a huge year next year just to be able to go in the first round. So I'm thinking a little bit more. I'm on the side of second round for Alan Flanagan, but there's there's still three potential draft picks right there that I've already named. I don't know if anybody else goes next year just looking at the roster. I'd say that's 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 about where I put it. I think Jalen Williams ends up being a four year guy at Auburn. Mm-hmm. So. I, that that's my group there I, I think Auburn still has three draft picks next next season very possibly and then you're reconstructing the roster again I agree I agree I was I was thinking about this earlier it's like oh well Sharif, Sharif's leaving so that leaves options for all of these different guys to come in well what's Auburn's team going to look like at the end of next season like how many guys are going to be drafted how many guys are going to be graduating or transferring and it looks like Auburn's going to be left with a lot more to deal with by the end of next season than this season and there's at least four scholarships right now looking back at this year as Sharif Cooper's left there's at least four spots that Auburn can fill they already filled one of those with Jasper so there's three more to go and Jasper has two years of eligibility if I'm not mistaken I believe he does I'll take your word for it I may need to double check that but I believe he has two years not just one so and those two scholarships that were filled up by Jabari Smith and Trey Alexander, they were already expecting those guys to come in and nobody was graduating. So you still have three spots left to fill after transfer. So there's there's still a lot of moving and shaking to be had with this Auburn basketball team. And we just had Christian Clemente of AuburnSports.com with us on the show just a few moments ago. And he was talking to us about several key names. One name out there that I'm super high up on and I would love to see come to Auburn, Ty Ty Washington. The guy that was committed to Creighton and some services, I believe, according to 24-7 Sports, he's regarded as the number three point guard in that class. He's out of Arizona, six foot three, so he's got nice size as a point guard. Six foot three can get you into the NBA as a point guard. I don't know if he would be a, a, a one and done type of player, but still that would be a huge boost for Auburn to bring in a point guard of that caliber. And he was Auburn was in his top ten before he elected to go to Creighton, has recently decommitted from the Jays out there in that Omaha area in Nebraska so that's that's a possibility we've seen Walker Kessler I'm not as high up on Walker Kessler coming to Auburn I feel pretty confident in him going to Gonzaga I think Auburn's in the mix I just don't see why we need him sure the front court's heavy I think the front court's built now he's going to end up being better I believe than 
stretch hacking bola and i think he's uh, you know i think he i think you can get similar production out of him as compared to jalen williams or some of the other bigs but it's definitely a loaded front court going into next year you're not really losing anything in the front court and you're adding jabari smith who's going to be the focal point the attention of the of that front court and then auburn also adds i believe next season they had that seven footer from hawaii his name's slipping my name right now but he had offers from kansas and cincinnati i can't quite remember is his he name next right year now. No, he's not. He's not this year's class. He's next year's class. Oh, I believe, okay. So two years from now. So once Smith graduates, you've got a seven footer coming in to replace him. So I don't. I don't understand why we would need Kessler. I feel like we've got guys that can fill that position, and then Auburn can also recruit and get transfers down the line. I think Auburn's better off spending their scholarships trying to get some guards that can fill the hole that Sharif Cooper is leaving currently. Yes, it is the 2022 recruiting class for that seven footer Sage Tolentino who largely really wasn't being recruited, wasn't being looked at, but he did have offers from Kansas and Cincinnati. So this guy, you know, you got to love a seven-footer coming to Auburn because you don't see that too often, and that'll be big. So I, I'm not, you know, there's a coach. There, there are a few coaches, and I told you this off air. There are a few coaches in college basketball that I trust more than Bruce Pearl in roster team building and talent evaluation. So I, I think Auburn's just Auburn's going to be just fine. And you're going to be just fine. Wait just a few moments. When we come back on the other side of this break, we got hour number two of On the Line. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you in the studio. Hope everybody's having a great good Friday. If you want to join the show call in at 334-321-1390 that's the number to get you through to the show follow espn 106.7 on facebook and twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station the max roundtable on the line the drive with bill cameron analysis news and more seven hours of local sports talk radio all on espn 106.7 find the website on espnau.com continuing our discussion here about sharif cooper declaring for the nba draft electing to forego his remaining eligibility this is not a situation where he can return the news finally broke we were just waiting it was not if it was when also it was can he return and now all of those questions have been answered Sharif Cooper headed off to the NBA pretty much most people that are well versed in basketball are saying this is a good thing for Auburn I think that's the silver lining. That's the positive way to look at it. Of course, everybody wants to return your premier best recruit that you've ever had in program history, especially when you saw him average 20 points a game this year. Almost saw him average a double-double, you know. I mean, the guy was averaging, what, like 20 and 7 this past season. So, of course, you would love to bring that back. But as folks become more and more familiar with this day and age of college basketball, I think we're getting closer and closer with every year to reverting back to what we had in the early to mid-2000s when high schoolers could go straight from high school to the NBA. 
And we almost saw that with a guy like JT Thor. I mean, we were just talking about it last segment. And this guy technically should have been in high school whenever he was playing this yep. year. And if he makes the jump, I mean, that's still on the table. If he makes the jump from one year in college to the NBA, I mean, technically, all things considered, he would have been the age of a high schooler. This is also an NBA rule, not a college rule. It's not like college is keeping people hostage saying, no, 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 you can't go to the NBA. It's not like that. It's the other way around. It's the NBA that has set the stipulation on the ability to get drafted, that they have to be so many years removed from high school. I have a feeling that that is going to go away in the next couple of years, and then we are going back to exactly what we had in the early 2000s to late 2000s when guys could leave straight away. The last couple of athletes that we saw do that, it's like LeBron James. Mm Mm-hmm. It, yep. We're almost a whole generation removed from that time period. It's crazy to think about. And if we start to revert back to that, could we see some more all-time greats potentially come out of high school? I think Zion would have been one of those guys to potentially make the jump from high school to the NBA immediately. Also, then the other question is, folks will say, well, that's going to water down the product of college basketball. I don't How think much? so. I really don't think so, first of all, because you're really only going to be looking at about 10 players max that are going to make that decision to go on to the next level straight out of high school. There aren't that many that are ready right out the gates. 10 on, those are just going to move up in the recruiting rankings. Those are going to become your new number one. Sharif Cooper wasn't even a top 10 player in the recruiting rankings. He comes to Auburn, and now he's got the ability to go pro. You're still going to see one and dones, I think, my perfect world, I, I think I would like to see if you went to college, kind of the baseball situation, if you elected to go to college, you have to spend a couple of years there and you can't leave until like, what, you're a junior or something like that or after you've finished two years playing ball. I, I think I would like that scenario more. But once again, that's an NBA rule and I highly doubt they put any stipulations on it moving forward. I think once the NBA strikes down that rule, it's going to be a free-for-all. The guys are going to be able to leave at any point. Now with the transfer portal as well. Free agency, you mean. Yeah. Now with the transfer portal and then also with some of these NIL lawsuits and things happening in the Supreme Court with compensation to student-athletes in the collegiate game, the college and the professional game alongside even high schoolers, especially in college basketball, is about to become so intertwined. The lines are really about to, and I, I hate to use... I'm not going to say the lines are going to get blurred because that's kind of what the NCAA is saying right now in all of their in all of their litigation and whatnot and all of the, what's going on with the Supreme Court and everything and talking about the this this highly controversial topic in college basketball or collegiate athletics period about guys getting paid but they definitely are going to become more interconnected they than they ever have been because you're going to see co- collegiate athletes getting paid possibly be, being able to go and get endorsement deals things like that and then you've got guys leaving from high school skipping college altogether and making it to the next level there's going to be more connection than ever in between the three levels of collegiate athletics and so it's definitely going to be a little bit more like the wild west free agency as you said and there's going to be more and more roster reconstruction every year what you're getting from auburn basketball this year where they're basically having to retool their you know four or five different spots on their roster 
that is going to be more and more the norm in college basketball so just get used to it i was about to say you know i think it scares a lot of people and i think everybody's like oh no we can't do that because you're football minded right. though you've got somewhat of a rigidity to your roster right right it's like well this is the way it's always been this is the way we've always done things it's like well there can't there are a lot of good things that can also come from changing the system and changing the way college basketball is played and how rosters are constructed and how things are year in and year out and things like like you just mentioned Auburn having just to replace guys I mean this is just what's going to happen now with the with the free agency I'm not going to call it the transfer portal with free agency now in college <laughs> basketball you know it's just the way it is and you're someone Players who's pretty much leave. opposed to it right right and I don't like it I don't like it at all I don't like for for to see what is that I believe it's already double the amount of transfers in the portal this season yes, than it was than last where season. we were even that I think total last year or something like that and we're only through like March at the moment we're already double I just don't I just like the idea of of, of a player being able to commit to their school for at least it for at least at one or two years not to be able to get there for a few months and then to say okay I'm out I think I think that was their decision to commit to that school, and I feel like they should be held accountable for that in in some sort of way. I don't like the the idea of just being able to go willy nilly and just go here and there and here and there. And do we're the, talking about transfers now, right. not really. We're not talking about NBA declarations. I right. think high school kids should be allowed to go straight to the NBA at high school. If you can do it in baseball, why are you not allowed to do it in basketball? What gives? So, I, for for just separating all of the arguments here, I think that they should be allowed to leave straight out of high school. I agree and go to the NBA because just like in any other industry, you don't have to go to college. You don't. You don't have to do that. You you can go and get. Uh, you you can go and join the workforce as soon as you leave high school. You don't have to. I mean, you can even work while you're in high school. You know, like you don't have to go to college in order to end up in the workforce. It's probably recommended for for a lot of professions, obviously, but because degrees are required in in a lot of fields these days. But it's not required, and so I think it's interesting that the NBA has required it up to this point. Also think. I also wonder how it even benefited them to do that from the get-go. Like, why would they decide to make that rule? Why would they even place that rule on side of them? Would you want Zion Williamson into the NBA as soon as possible? Because he was one shoe blowout away from, from, you know, you you just see knee injuries and things like that happen all the time to guys, and it changes the trajectory of their career entirely. Right, right. And if anything, it benefits them because, you know, that's more money coming in. It's a a new face. It's like, oh, who is this guy coming out? It generates revenue, and it generates attention, and it's just overall, I think it's a good thing. As far as college athletes are concerned, I I just don't like the idea of of the ability to transfer – at a whim on a whim now I do understand like if you get to a university like the the situation's not good for you you need to go back home or something circumstances are always going to be different and I feel like there are definitely waivers that can be that can be used for those situations but just to transfer just because you want to I don't think that's I don't think that's a good idea that's just my opinion and there's going to be a lot of discourse on all of these topics that are that are intertwined and some some things that people aren't considering are I think connected like how I said that you know the high school the collegiate and the professional game as compensation rules are changed and also in terms of rules about guys being able to just make the jump right away out of high school there all three of those levels are going to be more connected than they ever have been let's rein this back a little bit and talk about Sharif Cooper a lot of people saying this is a good thing for Auburn which I would agree uh, agree with them that this is looking like it's going to be three straight years of first round draft picks came out of Auburn it's changing the way that people view Auburn basketball and of course people obviously want the guy to come back but if you want to be able to recruit more Sharif Coopers you got to let him go 
Right, right. And I was talking with uh, Zach Blackerby on his podcast just earlier this morning, and I think my take was a little, little dramatic. I'll dial it back a bit. I said that Auburn's in the early stages of what what Cal was building at Kentucky, where it was like that 2012 to 2015 period where you look at that those teams and you're like, every single position is like, how do you, you look at the team as like, you go, how do you beat that? Because it's a bunch of four and five stars and it's just NBA talent all over the place. I think Auburn is is not necessarily in the early stages but like you said in order to cr- to recruit more Sharif Coopers you got to be able to have somebody like Sharif you got to have Sharif Cooper you got to have him go you got to have you got to be able to prove to recruits that right. You're not going to hold them hostage here, and you're going to allow them to go pro. Right, and I think that's what's going to allow Auburn to kind of build themselves more and more into a, not necessarily a powerhouse, just a formidable program. On a year-in-a-year-out basis, and I think it's a necessity to be able to prove that you can retool your roster every year for one-and-dones, because Notre Dame has been one of the more outspoken teams about how college basketball should be played. Their, their, Their whole thing is like, keep guys here for four years but look at Notre Dame over the last couple of years yes they've been a good team most years but some years they have their down year and that's kind of a, what you fall into when you've got the rigidity of a roster and you're not bringing in these highly touted guys that can make the jump to the next level you're also not getting the elite talent that's coming into college basketball there's a little bit of a development curve so you're going to have down years sprinkled in here and there but if you're recruiting elite talent year in year out you're going to constantly be in the discussion it's just different faces and that's all it is and it, it for 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 a team like auburn to be able to re- consistently recruit guys like sharif cooper moving forward i mean it doesn't matter whether the name's sharif cooper scoot henderson uh, what whatever whatever five-star point guard may come in the future as long as you're bringing in consistent or consistently bringing in five star or four star talent and they're playing at a high level it doesn't matter you can it's it's you can just crank out NBA talent and then you start to build your program into a team like Kentucky with that Auburn that Kentucky had in like what 2015 I think it was the year that they were really really good you start to, you're starting to see Auburn kind of trend in that direction and if Pearl and Auburn can stay out of out of NCAA trouble, which I really hope the NCAA very soon here just just says, "All right, your your uh, your your postseason ban was enough. We'll leave you alone." I, I really hope that happens so Auburn can start to kind of move in the direction that they want to. The other thing to note here, just examining Notre Dame as the example, because Mike Bray's been one of the outspoken guys, especially considering Duke has been in his league and turning. And they're a one and done factory. They're one of the few one and done factories in collegiate athletics i'd put them in the same equation with kentucky and then you've got one and done sprinkled throughout the rest of college basketball i wouldn't call them factories i'd say there's two one and done factories and you're and you're looking at duke and kentucky but notre dame's been kind of critical of that with mike bray as their head coach and you look at the last four years for them and 2017 2018 went 21 and 15 2018 2019 14 and 19 and 1920 they went 20 and 12 and then this past year they went 11 15 so how's that working for you bud you know like you, you got to go and get you got to go and get elite talent right. in order to be able to compete with those teams I, I'm all for I think and look Duke's not winning championships year in and year out right and neither is Kentucky and in fact I've been one of the people who's been super critical of John Calipari because I think that he has been underwhelming with the type of talent that he recruits year in and year out it's hard sometimes to piece together the one and dones to get the chemistry to work out it's hard sometimes to get them all to be able to put it together when you have such a young team. I don't know if that's the best recipe 
to win national championships. I think you need some of that elite young talent that can make the jump to the next level sprinkled in with an experienced core of players that is going to be with you from start to finish freshman to senior year. And when I look at Auburn's roster, I see that. They're retooling this year to go and bring in some elite talent that's going to be able to make the jump next year to the NBA, Jabari Smith. They're going out there, though, adding some experience from the transfer portal, Zepp Jasper, and then some other guys that are going to be coming in. And then you've also got your core of guys that have been with you now they'll be entering their third year you're Alan Flanagan's you're Jalen Williams and we've seen their development trajectory into some of the better players at their positions in the SEC Auburn is going to be in a great place when it rolls around next year and you're looking at the roster because they have that perfect mix of experience and elite talent coming out of high school so and Pearl is the perfect coach to, to, to manage it 100% more of on the line on the other side of this break stay with us you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, <laughs> Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Having good fun here in the studio coming out of break. Trying to bring the excitement back onto the show here. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Sting working the board for us today. Getting into a little bit of a college basketball conversation here now. Roy Williams heading into retirement. That news broke yesterday morning. What does this mean for North Carolina basketball? Of course, right now, they're trying to figure out the replacement to considerably the second greatest coach or the greatest coach. Try, try and make some type of debate between Roy Williams and Dean Smith in North Carolina basketball history. It's amazing that they've had two icons like that because most teams only have one if they're fortunate enough to have one. And they have two of the greatest coaches ever in college basketball history and now they're having to replace that and I saw something today that I found interesting I saw this on ESPN.com where Larry Brown said that Roy Williams should be allowed to pick the successor to his throne as the head coach of the North Carolina basketball program and I could not disagree I I, I'm not gonna say I could not disagree more but I, I do disagree with that sentiment I do not think Roy Williams should be allowed to choose his replacement and some folks may I I understand the basis behind it I understand the point of what he's trying to say that Roy Williams has earned it through his successful time and that's even an understatement he was more than successful he was elite he has earned this ability to pick his successor but if I'm Roy Williams I don't know if I want to do that because what if you pick wrong then it looks really really bad It looks bad on you, and it looks bad on the program to allow you to pick somebody terrible. Exactly. And when I look at – and we talked about the list of coaches and some of these odds on CBS Sports line of coaches to replace them. Which are egregious, by the way. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed. I'm a little disappointed because I think they could at least try and talk to all of the big names in college basketball first that they feel pretty confident in to come in. But it's kind of a – it's very much so an Auburn thing when you're looking at what's going on with North Carolina right now. People, uh, you know, kind of the – the sentiment is that North Carolina is going to hire someone within the family, right? But when you look within the family of North Carolina basketball right now, uh, and considering the top three odds right now 
are Hubert Davis, never, never, never been a head coach before. Wes Miller, who's just now getting the North Carolina Greensboro program to a point of reaching the tournament on a consistent basis. He's done a very nice job with North Carolina Greensboro, but he's yet to be at a major program. So it begs the question, is Wes Miller ready to take on the reins of a blue blood? And then Jerry Stackhouse is third. And yes, this is the Jerry Stackhouse from Vanderbilt. And apparently the only qualification that you need in order to be the head coach at North Carolina right now is that you have some type of connection to the University of North Carolina. And I don't understand why Jerry Stackhouse would even be in the odds there considering he's won like three conference games in the last two seasons at Vanderbilt and he also has not been a head coach anywhere but at Vanderbilt so I don't know if this guy's ready to take it over either so uh, when you look at it yes those are the top three names uh, according to some odds out there but then you see Tony Bennett Jay Wright Nate Oates Scott Drew Bill Self who just signed a lifetime contract so that's not happening and Kansas shut that down real quick Brad Stevens, who may not have much longer in the NBA. He's been talking that game where he's like, I'm not leaving the NBA. Not a chance. Well, the NBA may not want him there anymore, but you're talking about how the Boston Celtics are performing at the moment at a below 500 mark with one of the better rosters as far as talent is concerned in a weak Eastern Conference. You just don't understand. But Brad Stevens still would be immediately into the top tier coaches in college basketball if he were to return to that game if people don't remember brad stevens was the guy who took butler to multiple national championships so brad stevens would be a great addition to the north carolina program and i've talked to some north carolina fans recently they would they would love to see brad stevens there and on top of that they'd love to see some of these other big names but you just wonder if north carolina even broaches the conversation with coaches like scott drew and jay wright and tony bennett those would be huge names but you just you don't know if they even make those decisions yeah so sports line actually made these odds and i'm not going to call them out i'm not going to say i'm not going to i'm well, not gonna, probably some some validity to it yeah, right i'm not going to hate on sports line but i was actually going to point out what you said is like the guy that they have lowest on their list is like i would like to see brad stevens make the transition from boston to north carolina i, I think, think that'd be a great hire and i think him being so low on the list is more based on the things that brad stevens has said in the past right but these were questions about brad stevens going to be the head coach at indiana this is not Brad Stevens going to, and it would be a rebuilding job at Indiana. And I know I said earlier this week that Indiana is still a blue blood, and that it, that is true because of their history in college basketball. But they have definitely fallen from grace. And if anybody's going to lose their blue blood status, if that's even possible, Indiana would be in that group if if it's even possible, right? They're they're the lowest of the blue bloods at the moment, and it's on a year in and year out basis of underwhelming it's like trajectory. Texas, it's like Texas in football, which we will actually get to Texas in a moment. That I is believe. so accurate. That is so accurate. It is like Texas in football. Indiana in basketball right now is very much so like Texas in football. And and Texas basketball has even been better than Indiana basketball, which is and that's saying something. Yeah, that is saying something considering they've been about a 10-12 loss season, uh 10-12 loss team every year, but I still I digress going back to this North Carolina situation. It's more about Brad Stevens, but that was Brad Stevens being asked about Indiana, not Brad Stevens being asked about North Carolina where it's not a rebuilding job and you can pretty much recruit whoever you want. And we saw how good of a coach Brad Stevens was at Butler. Why would you not? have a chance to take over one of the best college basketball programs that has already been that that is a machine and and bill self released a statement yesterday when roy williams retired say that because bill self was the successor to roy williams at kansas he said he got to see firsthand how roy williams program was run brad stevens is going to get to walk into a program that's a well-oiled machine 
and it, and it would be fit for success right away. So I, I don't I don't quite understand why Brad Stevens probably wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be chomping at the bit for something like this, especially when things are going a little sideways in the NBA. But but the other point is, it's kind of just like when we were talking about Tracy Rocker going back to the NFL. You don't have to recruit. Right. Most coaches don't want to have to fool with that. Something else that concerns me about this list and just looking at most of these coaches, aside from maybe Miller, it's like they're going to be at their university for or or NBA program, aside from maybe Stevens, for, for quite some time. Like Nate Oates isn't going anywhere. Bill Self just signed a lifetime contract. Are you so sure that Nate Oates isn't going anywhere? I don't think he's leaving Alabama for a while. I don't think he is. I just don't think he is. If North Carolina called Nate Oates, do you think he turns down the job? No way. No way. If North Carolina actually heavily pursues Nate Oates, I do not believe that guy turns down the job. It's all talk, right? Like when you're at your university, you're not going to sit there and say, yeah, I'm, I'm not, I, I, you know, I, I'm just going to hold out for a better job, right? Like, I, I love it here, but if a better job comes along, see you guys, you know, yeah. like nobody ever says that. And they don't say he likes it in, in T-Town. Sure. He may like it there, but. Ugh. <laughs> he may he may like it there. Fine, he does. But if North Carolina and Chapel Hill came calling, that's the pinnacle of college basketball. I just uh, well, sure. You know what? I I can see it happening, but just based off of what coaches have said, I don't think North I, Carolina talks to NATO. Yeah. Uh, and then guys like Jay Wright at Villanova. You know what? Maybe I can see Wright leaving the Villanova Villanova program. But again, these are guys that have been at their universities for for quite a while aside from guys like Oates who are now starting to build the program into something so I just don't I don't see them I don't see them leaving what they're what they're building right now I just don't see college basketball coaches doing that so do you think North Carolina makes an underwhelming hire I hope not I think Stevens right now should be their guy that they go after and and looking at this list like they're, they're great names. I just don't see them leaving. I just don't see them saying, you know what, I'm halfway through the building process at, at this university or I'm, I'm, I'm in, the, in the middle of a golden age. I'm out. You know what, Baylor, Where they Scott feel Drew, like maybe their program has been more successful over right. the last couple of years than North Carolina. It's like Scott Drew is like, why would he leave Baylor right now? Why would he do that? There's no reason to. He's gonna have some players Aside leaving from, after is, this season, and Stink saying like money, but like still, like I, I think Baylor can throw some th- throw some money at him and keep him happy where he's at. Like I just I I just don't see these guys committing to North Carolina. Your ceiling may be much higher though on a consistent basis at North Carolina. Like what you can True. achieve year in and year out at North Carolina is a little bit different than what you can achieve year in and year out at Baylor. Not saying that Baylor can't compete for national championships every like four years or so, but I think that's where they're at right now. Maybe even more than that. Baylor's still a team that hasn't won a national championship. Could that change this year? I don't know. Maybe. Who knows? Let's see. But again, you know, it's not a terrible list. I said egregious. It's not terrible. I just don't. I just don't. You're just see. preparing for the egregious hire. Yeah, I'm just preparing for for an underwhelming hire because I don't think it's any of these guys, aside from Stevens potentially. We got about a minute left in this segment, so we'll only be able to touch on it for just a moment. But. And and I and we didn't get to dig into this too much, but I want to go back to what Larry Brown said about Roy Williams being able to determine his successor. Do you think he should? I don't think he should. It's not. Do you think it, anybody should? No, I don't think. Well, I think the university should, and I, I, don't, I know this is well, going to sound. Of course, but I mean, does you do you think any coach ever? No, and I, I think this is going to sound horrible to say because he just retired, but it's not his program. He was he was he was hired by the university to do a job. It shouldn't be his obligation or his his decision to say, okay, I get to choose who comes after me. It's the university. It's it's their it's their decision to make. It's like who who do we hire next? 
It's not Roy Williams because he's no longer a part of your program. Was he great? Yeah. Did he do a lot of great things? Absolutely. Like you said, dude is elite, but he's not He's not the university. He's Roy Williams. He's, he's separate from that. He's retired. Let the university make their decision. And if they make a bad hire, that's on them, not on Roy Williams. That's just my thought on it. I just don't want to see him make the wrong decision. Because if he makes the wrong decision, I think that does – it doesn't taint what he did as a coach, but I, I do think that it – I don't want anybody being able to blame Roy Williams for anything because he gave so much to that program across his 33 years. Not his 33 years. He, he was in college basketball for 33 years across his 18 years at North Carolina. I just don't want to see anybody saying, pointing fingers at him saying, he did this to our program. You know what I mean? Right. On the way out. I, I don't I don't want to see that. And so if I was Roy Williams, I wouldn't want to do it. I was like, this is y'all's problem, not mine. I'm going to right. retirement. Exactly. I'll see you guys at the beach, right? <laughs> And we'll see you guys on the other side of this break. Stay with us. 30 minutes left in the show on On the Line. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner. And Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. 30 minutes left of the show between us and the drive with Bill Cameron. Coming up at 4 from 4 to 6 here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on FoxSports983.com and on Facebook. That's FoxSports983.com. Still continuing on with the moving and shaking in college basketball right now with some different coaches moving from place to place. Roy Williams retiring from North Carolina yesterday, but now Texas hiring Chris Beard from rival Texas Tech. And that's just driving the dagger into your rival. And I feel bad for Texas Tech because a small one of the smaller schools in Texas that are obviously a Power 5 program, and you feel bad for them because they just got their coach poached. Yeah, and we 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 talked about this. And they've a, a been lot. undeniably the better program over Texas. Yes, absolutely. But the the question is, is like, what is Texas Tech going to do now moving forward without him? This is like what happened in like, yeah. Well, Moneyball's coming on TV tonight. I think. Yeah, Moneyball's coming on TV tonight, and this is like what happened in Moneyball when the A's got really good, and then the Red Sox and everybody else and the Yankees go and try and gut teams and steal all their greatest players. You see it all the time in sports when the small team gets good and then the big boys come rolling in and take your best players because they can pay them more. And now this is a little bit different because Chris Beard graduated from Texas. So this is like his school. This is where he got his coaching start as a GA. So once again, this is like his school, but still... You feel bad for Texas Tech to have their coach poached this way. I'm really, really concerned about uh, Tech moving forward. I'm sorry, I wanted to say A&M, but I, I caught myself for some <laughs> reason. Uh, but but moving forward for Texas Tech, like even with guys like McClung still on the roster, it's like I don't really see them doing much. I'm really, really interested to see who they hire. And then we talked about it like a, a week or so ago with Texas. I mean, like this is where co- good coaches go to die. So is this is yeah. the last of Chris Beard? Like the, the, these two Texas very schools may, may in the future may be experience some serious issues. Texas, not so much. I mean, they're just kind of living in mediocrity forever. But I, who knows? Who knows? Maybe they'll maybe they'll win more than 20 games. Maybe they'll win 22. So look at all the hot shot coaches. We talked about this when Shaka Smart took off from Marquette. 
Look at all the hot shot coaches that have came to Texas over the last decade and look at what's happened to them. Shaka Smart comes in on the basketball end, did not have less than a 25 or a 26 win season at VCU. Like every year he was winning at least 25 or 26 games. He's the guy who put VCU on the map and puts them into the Atlantic 10. They go to the Final Four. Shaka Smart, one of these hot shot coaches, probably the best name of all mid-major coaches, one of the hottest names of all mid-major coaches. You know, I might go off on a limb. I think I, I name a coach that's been that was a more hot of a commodity than Shaka Smart at the time he was coming out of VCU among like mid-majors over the last couple of years. I don't think I can. I don't think you can. Like think especially really... with like the longevity that he had at Virginia Commonwealth, like it was 26 wins every single year for like 6 7 years. It was it was repeated, and and he comes out, and it's like, man, this is sure fire. Does it work at Texas? No. What happened? You'd think with all the resources at Texas that it would work. What occurred? See, that's the thing is like Texas one of the, is one of the wealthiest programs in all of college athletics. Period. So it's like, guys, even on the the football side of things, it's like, how can you not make stuff work with all of this money and all all of this money to go get these these recruiters and and staff and coaches how can you not bring in guys that can that can do their job and do it well like how my question is how do they continue to get money even when they're underperforming in all six seasons at vcu shaka smart won at least 26 games his worst year he went 26 and 10 which was his last year at vcu every single year 27 and 9 28 and 12 29 and 7 27 and 9 26 and 9 26 and 10 went to the ncaa tournament five out of those six years went to the final four and won a tournament game in at least half of those, or three-fifths of those tournament appearances. He was even a CBI champion in the one year that he didn't go to the NCAA tournament. I mean, if this guy was winning something, if there was something to be won at VCU, this guy was winning it. Goes to Texas, ends up having barely an above 500 record for college basketball standards. He had a win percentage of 55, or 56% rather, at Texas. He was 109 and 86. He had a losing record at Big 12 play, 51 and 56. Didn't uh, win an NCAA tournament game. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he uh, missed the tournament on two occasions. He did win the NIT in 2018-2019. But still, you look at Shaka Smart, the VCU coach, and then Shaka Smart, the Texas coach, and you're like, what happened? And now he's at Marquette, and I think if he succeeds at Marquette, then it really begs the question, what's wrong with the Texas basketball program? Shift over to the football side where we've seen some hot shot coaches come over where everybody was like, oh, man, this guy for sure is going to be successful. Tom Herman. Tom Herman was egregiously successful at Houston. Was one of the hotter names in college football after he was leaving his offensive coordinator position at Ohio State, goes to Houston, puts Houston on the map, has some really great years at Houston, and then makes the jump over to Texas. Everybody thinks, oh, yeah, this is going to work. What happens? Eight and five every year. Still losing five games in the Big 12, and now they let him, they cut him loose, and they bring on Steve Sarkeesian, the next hot shot name that moved from a big program that knows how to knows how to create good offenses and is one of the better offensive minds of his time. The same thing was being said about Tom Herman when he went to Texas. Before Tom Herman, Charlie Strong was coming off of a blowout win over Florida in the Sugar Bowl at Louisville and was winning on the regular basis at Louisville and was regarded as one of the one of the hotter names from, I don't want to call it mid-major football, but but Louisville was still playing in the Big East and and in the uh, was still playing in the Big East and the American at the time, and then they made the switch over to the ACC, I believe, after he left. But still, he was still winning 
at a at a high level at louisville and doing it on a big stage beating an sec team leaves goes to texas i don't know if people are as high up on charlie strong to texas as they were on tom herman to texas but i still think most people thought yeah this is going to work out at texas and it didn't so at some point now that we've gone through three different coaches over the last decade and two of the most uh, two major collegiate programs on college basketball and on the college football side as well you talk about this texas team at some point you got to look at yourself in the mirror and say is it me I think it is. I think I think it has to be. I think it has to be the the University of Texas. There's no other way to put it. I mean, these coaches like they they've performed at schools prior to being at Texas, and they've performed at schools after post. Charlie being Strong at Texas. is in that boat. So my my question is is like, have yet to see it with Tom Herman, but not yet to see it with with Herman, but still, my question well, he is, just got fired. How how are you performing so poorly? in a power five conference with money and the facilities to perform well i just i don't understand where the where where where's the, the misconnection like i don't understand what's going wrong and you see guys like chris beard it's like oh there's another really talented guy he's proven it at a major level he's proven it at texas tech that he it's can hard take, to get texas tech to win at basketball yeah he you can take if he take if Did he, bob knight do it no no if you can take a team like tech to the title game then you should be able to perform at a what would be considered a blue blood school, and whenever I say school, I don't mean just like basketball. I mean just in general, uh, in in Texas, I just I don't understand where it goes wrong with Texas. You look at Chris Beard versus Bob Knight, which Bob Knight spent much longer at Texas Tech than Chris Beard did, or maybe by a couple of seasons. But Chris Beard's best year. At Texas Tech, he went 23-11 and 11 and won an NCAA tournament game. The next year, he went 22-11 and 11 and went to the Sweet 16. So I'd say his best years were in the middle, 03-04, 04-05. But he followed that up with 15-17 year, 21-13 year. And then in 2007-2008, uh, he was fired midway through the year, 12-8. and eight. So, But you look at what Chris Beard did. Chris Beard put him in a national championship. He put Texas Tech University in the national championship. Lubbock. He put that school in the national championship and has found a way to recruit it at a high level too. They're they're bringing in some five stars here and there, and they're in the running for high quality recruits. You just don't talk about Texas Tech in that type of in that type of way in the college basketball community. He goes eighteen and fourteen his first year. He's just laying the foundation. Goes twenty seven and ten. Goes to the elite eight. Then's the runner up in 2018, 2019, Goes thirty one and seven, and now has had two eighteen win seasons where he would have he would have gone to the NCAA tournament in two thousand twenty, and then in two thousand twenty one this year he, he wins a tournament game. Which and, is which is why I'm concerned about Tech moving forward because they're losing a very very good coach in Chris Beard but he's going to a place where coaches go to die. So it's just, it's not a, it's not a good – it looks like it's not going to be a good outcome for either of these programs, but I hope both of them do well. I hope Texas breaks the curse that they have over them currently. College football is more fun and college basketball is more fun when Texas is good. I agree. I agree. They're one of the most storied programs in all of collegiate athletics, and if it's not good at the moment, I, I think that – collegiate athletics is suffering and you think so my question now hindsight's 2020 of course because we've already seen some of these coaches fail but I feel like with these two coaches these are the two coaches that now they've hired would you say that you would have believed more in Shaka Smart coming into Texas or Chris Beard now coming into Texas I think I would believe in Chris Beard a little bit more because I I, I give a lot of preference to power five record or he's records, already done it. and I believe based on what we've seen him do at a power five school I, I would give him 
the nod over uh, over Shaka because when it, he was coming from VCU, it's more difficult, I believe, to to win at a Power Five school. And Steve Sarkeesian, the way people have talked about him in the offseason, that Steve Sarkeesian is definitely believed in more than Tom Herman or Charlie Strong was before him. So I think it's safe to say when you look at these two coaches that Texas has hired on the college basketball and the college football side. Talk about these two. If these guys can't get it right, you wonder who will. Right, right. And not only that, uh, Sarkeesian's done it at the pro level as a coordinator. I mean, he's performed well at the NFL level as an offensive coordinator. So this guy should be able to put the University of Texas in a better spot than they were with Herman. I just feel like that's that's the case. So Texas is going to have to figure some things out if it doesn't work out with these two guys because it seems like their shoe ends to succeed we'll just have to see how it unfolds texas is going to have i'm going to be watching these texas programs for uh i already do but i'm going to be watching these texas programs closely over the next couple years to see how they progress more of on the line we wrap up the show on the other side of this break on the line on fox sports central alabama on 98.3 fm and espn 1067 Quick break as we come back here at On the Line, wrapping up the show. Last segment of On the Line. Noah Gardner, Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Auburn baseball game two tonight against Arkansas coming up at 6.30. That'll be something to look forward to. Before we wrap up hour number one of on, or the, the show here on On the Line, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noel Gardner with What's On Tonight. It's Friday and that means a new episode of Shark Tank. An entrepreneur from Missouri has a simple invention that helps prevent the spread of germs. New episode tonight at 7 on ABC. Also at 7, The Blacklist is on NBC. So movie selections for tonight. Opening day was yesterday, so why not go with Moneyball on AMC at 6. Denzel Washington is in The Equalizer on TBS at 7. And live sports, two NBA games are on NBA TV at 6.30. The Dallas Mavericks and the New York Knicks will square off. At 9, the Milwaukee Bucks and the Portland Trailblazers close out the night. The women's basketball Final Four is on this evening with both games on ESPN. At 5, two one-seeds collide with South Carolina and Stanford. At 8.30, three-seed Arizona will play one-seed UConn. Outside of live sports, but keeping with the theme of basketball, ESPN2 has a 30-for-30 going from 7.30 to 9.30. The last days of night examines Indiana Hoosers coaching legend Bob Knight and the investigation surrounding his firing. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, wrapping up the show here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Lance, uh, during what's on tonight, brought it to my attention, and he is so right. I don't know how I forgot that the Final Four was this weekend. I knew it was this weekend, but we hadn't talked about it yet. It's been a very Auburn-heavy show, which is the right way to go. Final Four this weekend. It's time to take a look at these two games, also make some picks. So, Sting, you know what that means. we got to get that hot key ready. And uh, it'll start off at 4.14 p.m. tomorrow. They couldn't just put it at 4.15 p.m. CBS, 4.14 p.m. Two-seed Houston, one-seed Baylor. The battle for Texas. You notice how always for, like, national championship games and, like, playoff games, like, even in college, or football, rather, they'll put it at such an odd time. Like, why 4 I don't. I don't get it. Anyway, I believe that this Baylor team... Wait a minute, 7.57's not a normal time for you? I, I always schedule I, I, I always schedule my encounters with people at like odd times. I, like I always wake up at seven oh three. Like I'm, I mean, I always yeah. So exactly. Anyway, anyway, I think this Baylor team does have the potential to struggle. I keep going back to watching that Kansas State game. It it, it rattled me, man. It rattled me. The fact that they've gotten this far has surprised me. 
Um, but they're still a very talented team. Davion Mitchell, Defensive Player of the Year. Um, both these teams have rebounded really well whenever I've watched them in the NCAA tourna tournament so far. They just get long rebounds and they box out well. I think this is going to be somewhat of a defensive struggle, but I'm going to pick Baylor to win this game simply because I feel like they have more shooters and they're just they're just the, ta the more talented team. Houston back in the Final Four for quite some time. When I look at it in this ball game, I said this earlier in the week with Baylor when they were getting ready for some of their Elite Eight matchups. This Baylor team, the Sweet 16 and the Elite Eight, that is, but Baylor does a lot of things really well. And if you're going to beat Baylor, look, even even on an off night, Baylor may not be shooting the basketball great, or maybe they're not rebounding the basketball great, or maybe they're not playing defense well that night. But typically, most nights, Baylor's only doing one thing that they're not doing very well. Everything else they're still doing at a high level. And so if you're going to beat Baylor, you have to beat them in multiple facets of the game of basketball. It's not always like that. Like it, beating Alabama in the Sweet 16 with UCLA, what did UCLA have to do? They just had to make sure that Alabama didn't shoot the basketball well and they are going to have a pretty good shot to win the game. Of course, it's more in-depth than that, but some teams you can pinpoint like an exact weakness and push that button and you're going to have a pretty good shot to win the basketball game. Pressure Auburn's guard play. Slows them down. With this Baylor team, though, you can't pinpoint one exact weakness that you can just push over and over again that's going to give them that's going to give you a good shot to win this ball game you have to excel in all areas of the game in order to be able to beat Baylor because we've seen them in this tournament win some games that were defensive contests that were a little bit lower scoring the Villanova game is the game that comes to mind in the Sweet 16 where they weren't looking good on offense but what happened they were able to churn through a disappointing first half and found their footing in the second half and did not allow that defensive slow grind you out style of play to reduce them to to reduce them to dust you know they, they they stayed upright and they played a good defensive game themselves houston's going to try and mirror what villanova did that's going to be the game plan that they're going to look at if they're going to take down baylor houston's definitely got a little bit more on the offensive side of things this houston team reminds me a lot of that that uh virginia team that won the natty a couple of years ago style of play excellent defense they've got individual guys on their on their offensive side that all perform their roles and all make sure they do their job. Not any one guy sticks out. It's very much so a team effort. Mm -hmm. If there's going to be a team outside of Gonzaga that would beat Baylor, I think it would be Houston. But I'm still with you. I don't foresee Houston beating them in multiple facets of the game. Baylor's still going to be able to to outgun Houston. It's just like offensively with Houston. Like you can go to Grimes, but outside of that, who do you have that can be better than the guy on the other side of the court with Baylor? Like Davion Mitchell can shoot. Teague can shoot. Um, Butler can shoot. It's like you can't. You even guys off the bench like uh, Meyer can shoot. It's like you can't keep up with them offensively. I just don't see it happening. Houston's still a very talented team. We'll play defense. We'll try and slow Baylor down, but I just don't think they have enough firepower. Moving on to the second game here, 7:34 p.m. CBS, number 11 UCLA or 11 seed UCLA against one seed Gonzaga. Cinderella versus Date with Dynasty. And does Cinderella still is Cinderella still dancing after midnight? Oh, I I I had a really hard time picking against UCLA to beat Michigan State. I said a couple weeks ago that I thought their guard play was too inconsistent to win an NCAA tournament game. Boy, how wrong of a take that was! Um, they've they've rattled off some wins against some teams that I just it's funny didn't how think, things work out that it's, way. It's crazy, right? I just they've beaten some teams that I just never saw them beating. And Gonzaga is another one of those one of those teams. Gonzaga favored by 14 in this game. A uh, very similar situation to uh, Houston and Baylor. I just think I just think this uh, Zags team has too many shooters. 
Um, too many I, I, post players. Too many post players. Like too many everything. Every, too many assists. Every, everybody can shoot. Everybody can drive. Everybody yeah. can play defense, and they look like they're having fun while doing it. I really like. This, too many handlebar mustaches. Yeah, I really like this Bulldogs team a lot. I, I just I'm gonna pick Gonzaga. But you're not happy about I'm it. I'm not happy about it based off what UCLA's been able to do so far this uh, postseason. If UCLA was playing Baylor, maybe there's a little bit more of hope. But oh, I, sure. I, I think this Gonzaga team's a shoe in. If you're talking about one team that can that is is going to outclass Baylor in all areas of the game, Gonzaga. Gonzaga is the one team I think that you can say is better than Baylor in all areas of the game, and it's the team approach that they bring. They everything that they do is as a team is as a unit. Mark Few may have the best basketball team to have ever hit the floor in college basketball history and if they win the national championship this year don't come at me with kentucky back in whatever it was 2015 don't come at me with that team i don't care how talented that team was they didn't win the national title right if gonzaga wins the national championship they are the greatest college basketball team to have ever touched the floor and some of y'all may be like whoa 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 that's a really really hot take let's see what watch how many players get drafted off this team just watch. Also, not only that, they've averaged 92 points a game. Tell me how many teams in the past have done that. Very, very talented team. What's in her, what, what I center on when I look at this Gonzaga team is their post presence. Between Kispert and Timmy, like, few teams have two guys that are averaging above 15 points in their post and still have, like, two or three guards that are averaging more than 10 points as well. This Gonzaga team averaging, like, 92 points a game and 18 assists a game. Just the ball movement. They do everything as a team. It's fundamental and it's unstoppable. You can't you can't break it. It's like they're just it's an impenetrable force. It's a wall. Like you just can't they they are so tight knit and so linked together as a team that they can't they can't be broken. So I'm I'm going Gonzaga but still a he- heck of a run for UCLA to get to this point. Really really impressed with what I saw against Michigan. But Michigan isn't Gonzaga. They just aren't. <laughs> I'm, sad, I'm sad that we're already writing the eulogy for UCLA because you'd think that, all, that the gloves are off when you get to the Final Four, though. Well, statistics, that anybody's got a chance. Well, no, no first four team has ever made the title game before, and I just don't, I just don't see it happening. I'm, I'm, not, I'm going with history here. I just don't see it happening. This may be one of the most, if not, like you said, the most dominant college basketball team we've ever seen in the Bulldogs. I don't see UCLA changing history here. So we got Gonzaga and Baylor in the national championship that will be on Monday. So I'm looking forward to that game as well. And we'll talk about that on Monday with you as well. We got about two minutes left in the show until the drive with Bill Cameron coming up here with Dan Peck as well, taking your calls from four to six on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama, about a minute and a half left here in the show. Good Friday with everybody. And uh, just want to talk about something that, uh, very important uh on today that i feel like is very close to my heart and hope a lot of people in the area as well you know it's a it's a tough day today when you're talking about um good friday and the meaning of good friday and you know what jesus went through on today and then you got a couple days later you know sin sin thought it had won today and it, it did not three days later when we celebrate easter on sunday we get to celebrate the resurrection of jesus christ and you know, I'm just looking forward to a good weekend. And I know the I know the world's been through a, a tough place over this last year and whatnot. And um I'm just looking looking forward to a good weekend this weekend. And I hope everybody has a good weekend enjoying it with their family and um and celebrating the true meaning of Easter and, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ because there's there's hope, right? And so I hope everybody sees that hope 
this um, during these tough times that you experienced during the world? It's something that we weren't able to get to do last year is celebrate Easter uh, during COVID. I think that's going to be fantastic to be able to actually get together as a body of believers or in a home and actually be able to worship and be able to appreciate what Easter actually means. Really, really thankful to actually be able to do that. Very thankful that COVID's just kind of starting to ease off and we're able to actually get together and do that. So to God be the glory, and I wouldn't be sitting here on, on the microphone if it wasn't if it wasn't for God, and I, I I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't have any, you know, I wouldn't have abilities, and and, and nobody would. So I'm, I'm just I'm thankful to be here and uh, thankful to be able to celebrate this weekend, uh, and and I hope everybody has a great weekend here for this Easter Sunday. We'll be back with you on Monday. Hope everybody has a great weekend. Enjoy your Easter time with your family, and we'll see you guys on Monday. The drive with Bill Cameron coming up after us here, four o'clock till 6 p.m. Still got two more hours of local sports talk radio. We'll be back with you on Monday. You know where to find us.